What are the forces, challenges, and ideas that define the 21st century? Conversations to understand the greatest figures and stories of today to create a better tomorrow. This is the 21st Stocks Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the 21st Stocks Podcast with me, Coleman Snell. Today is October 26, 2020. Today's guest is Elliot Lear, who is a senior at Brown University studying physics. He's also a good friend of mine, uh, and his contributed to some blog posts on my website as well as uh, with a couple of the interviews so far for uh, this podcast. So this interview is about a month old. Uh, It was when the podcast was known under a different title and before the rebranding occurred, but I didn't want to hold back from you guys. I didn't want to keep this podcast episode and this this wonderful conversation genuinely uh, on my computer hard drive for the until the end of time. I, I wanted to get it out there for you guys because it's a fun conversation and really it corrected a lot of my misconceptions I had about quantum mechanics. Circles in a way that kind of bastardizes the 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 principles of it a little bit. Elliot and I were on a were on a crusade to uh to fix that today, um in in whatever small part we could. But nonetheless, it is a uh, it's a really really good time. So I'm glad that you guys are here. Grab a big old big old can of popcorn. I don't know why you're eating popcorn out of a can. Strange choice, but I'll allow it. And sit back, relax, and uh, get that pen and paper out because there is gonna be a throw exam after this. Um, so you want to make sure to get high marks. Otherwise, uh, your father and I are going to be very, very disappointed in you. This is episode five of the 21st Talks podcast with me, Coleman Snell, and my conversation with Elliot Lear, correcting quantum mistakes. I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and please don't forget to leave a like, rating, or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this to, especially on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. The ratings really, really go to help this podcast grow, um, and the feedback is is incredibly critical at this early stage. So thank you guys very, very much, and I'll see you guys right back here next week. So uh, so hi, Elliot. How, how's it going? Hi, going well. Excited to be here. You're not exactly new to the podcast. You're on last week's episode and, and did a really like fantastic job like helping us prepare for it and actually like get ready. Yeah, thank you. This has been a really interesting project so far. Um, well, you are currently working on a, a, a an article for the website um, about this topic, quantum mechanics. Um, so we figured we would we would talk it out and hash out some more ideas and, and sort of go more in depth in places that the article you know is a little bit outside the article's focus. So I, I think that um, well I just I know I'm really stoked to have you on today uh, because it'll be a really fun talk. Um, so I, I guess the first question is all right, so the first question is uh, who are you and, and and why are you interested in quantum mechanics? <laughs> sure. So I'm Elliot Lair. I'm a rising senior at Brown University. I'm triple concentrating in math, physics, and philosophy. And (laughs) yeah, uh, I'm interested in quantum mechanics mainly because I'm human. I think everyone should be interested in quantum mechanics. It's probably, I'm sure you're about to ask me this, but I think it's (laughs) one of the most interesting phenomena that's like a hundred years ago, we just discovered this theory about the way the universe may or may not work. And, and 
And still we're confused on what it means and we're still asking questions and still as physicists and as a society, we're trying to incorporate all of its ideas into how we think about the world. So um, it's really impossible not to be interested in quantum mechanics is what I would say. Well, I feel like the issue is of, of interviewing someone who you have already worked with is, is they can predict your questions. But that's also an advantage because that means I have to talk less. So that's perfect. But I think I think my next question is, um, you know, like what what's at stake? Why why is quantum mechanics beyond why it's interesting? Like why why is it important? Yeah, I, I mean, quantum mechanics really at the heart of quantum mechanics is questions such as uh, is the universe fundamentally random? Or is there a deterministic way to go from one process to the next? Uh, do things have properties? Are they there when we're not observing them? Like there's this famous quote, is the moon there when we're not looking? And quantum mechanics is actually at the heart of that question because some particles display behaviors that makes it not so clear whether or not uh, the particles are even there or how they behave when there aren't uh, measurements going on. So we'll get into this later, but um, there's also things such as teleportation involved in quantum mechanics. There's quantum, you know, quantum cloning. There's a bunch of, uh, <laughs> there's a bunch of really fun, just ideas, just general ideas about the universe that whose heart is built into quantum mechanics. Mm -hmm. It seems like quantum mechanics is probably really, really involved in inspiring science fiction writers then in that case, which I, I think, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the pop culture um, aspect of it and interpretation is a little bit later after actually diving into the specific inter interpretations from physicists. Um, but yeah, I just I, I can already see the connections forming between uh, specifically the quantum cloning. I feel like that's just a, a go to phrase for uh, science fiction writers is let's just add quantum to this. Let's see how that influences the, the readers interpretations and stuff. Um, but actually, like actually getting into the research you've been doing. Um, there are there are four maybe five approaches we're going to talk about today um and the one that like kind of struck me the most when i was doing some of the preliminary research for this for this episode um is the uh, the many worlds approach uh can you tell us a little bit about that and, and explain it for sure so the uh, the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics uh was created in the late 1950s so around 20 to 30 years after quantum mechanics itself was discovered uh, named, uh, created by this guy named Everett, uh, who actually, there's a, there's a funny story about him. This was his PhD thesis. He just created this entire interpretation of quantum mechanics as his <laughs> PhD thesis at Princeton and then proceeded to not do physics again. He, he just dropped out. He started, uh, doing like weapons and defense research for, for the federal government. Uh, <laughs> and so never actually got to promote his idea. <laughs> Uh, Wait, so was it like, was it not um, as quickly, um, sort of, uh, did not have as much standing in physics early on in it, its development then? Yeah. In the sense no. of like after it was created, because it was just some random PhD kid at Princeton. No, exactly. It, it had actually none at all. It, it took decades before anyone like noticed his ideas or took them seriously. Uh, and obviously nowadays, probably a lot of people have heard of the many worlds interpretation. This, uh, this notion of, you know, there being parallel universes where things are slightly different does actually come from this very real possibility of how physics works. Uh, but yeah, for a long time, it wasn't even considered. So when I, when I was doing some of the reading before, it, it seemed like one of the advantages of this approach. And, and when was it created? Was it like the fifties or sixties? Yeah, it, it was late fifties. Okay. So, um, 
it seems like one of the one of the advantages is is it takes away the need for randomness um and also like action at a distance can you can you explain what when when quantum um mechanic interested individuals say randomness and also action at a distance what what do both of those terms mean sure so i think to to talk about randomness what we really need to talk about is superposition mm-hmm. um and so what's going on in superposition it's this different type of uh, state, you could call it, in quantum mechanics. The idea is, uh, given any two quantum mechanical states, you're allowed to combine them together. This is like just uh, something that comes out of the math of quantum mechanics. If you have, like, say, you know, a particle right here, and that same particle can be over here, like, there is a new state called the superposition of being here and being here that this particle can then be in. And obviously, when we go around, like, walking outside, we don't see things in two places at once. And so this is like a big question of oh, what, what does it actually mean to, for a particle to be in a superposition of two different states where they can be in a superposition of, you know, having like spin up or spin down, for, for example. This is a common uh, microscopic property of the electron. Um, and the way that uh, we sort of don't run into issues, because even electrons we sort of don't quote unquote see in two places at, at once, uh, because when we interact with them, they're only in one place. So when we measure them, uh, measure is a, is a loaded term. But when we measure them, they're only in one place at once. So somehow the universe decides, going from this superposition of, of being on my left and being on my right, it, it collapses into either being on my left or being on my right. And some interpretations of quantum mechanics just say, well, we don't really know how that works. And by some, I mean the Copenhagen interpretation, which yeah. we'll get to. Uh, we don't really know how that works. Like, it, it's just random. Like, there's just this random, it, it's this unexplained random process of going from this uh, superposition of a state we don't really understand well into a normal sort of state where it's just, uh, say, the particles on my left. And so mm. what, ev- what uh, the many worlds interpretation does is it totally gets rid of that randomness because instead of every time we have a superposition, you measure it and it has to randomly choose which one you're going to end up in, it actually says both happen, which is this radical idea. So it's it's literally saying there's both the electron to my left and there's the electron to my right, but we don't see two electrons. So actually that's where the many worlds come in, is that there's one world in which I'm here, I'm observing the electron, and it's to my right. And then there's a sort of parallel world in which there's a copy of me and I observe the electron to my left. And so you get to avoid randomness, which is very nice. So everything in the universe is deterministic. But Mm. along with this removal of randomness, you've brought with it like an infinite number of parallel worlds, um, each of a, a new one coming every single time you would have a measurement because every movement from this sort of superposition of states into these normal states creates two new possibilities for how it could have collapsed. And it, um, and it seems like this approach is one of the most in line when it comes to the uh, sort of the, the standard sort of vocab and culture of, of what is like Western science in the sense of this sort of Newtonian notion of determinism that's now really hard set and sort of built into um, a lot of philosophers, as, law, as well as law of materialists, like view of the world and and view of individuals and and view of free will, even so, it has a much larger consistency with what is, you know, propagating common within science at large and within um, 
sort of like atheist culture at large and, and other aspects. Do you think that's one of the reasons why it, it catches on or is it is it one of the more popular approaches? I mean, I think that's definitely that's definitely a, a reason it's uh, in consideration. Having mm-hmm. having everything be deterministic is really nice. Einstein yeah. himself had a really famous quote, uh, God does not play dice with the universe, exactly referring to this idea that, well, how things work shouldn't just be this random process we shouldn't understand. Mm. Uh, and it's just really useful to be able, like the project of physics is so much easier if we know that things happen exactly for a reason and it's not mm. random. And life is easier if we can actually say, okay, well, this wasn't just some random process. Like, there's a causal chain that le- led up to it, and this is what was going to happen anyway. So it's it's a very comforting idea, and certainly something that we interact with in our daily life. Uh, and so I think in that sense, yeah, de- definitely one of its major contributions for why it's, why it's caught on. Well, it seems like the sort of chaos of the universe right which like all of us as individuals and also as like thinkers and societies have to kind of contend with and try to make and construct some sort of order out of that that order creation is is one of the tasks of science right it's, it's how do we how do we create ideas and observe the world in such a way that allows us to create theorems and then discover laws about how things operate to give us more utility over the entire thing right um which is the involvement with technology and and science that is at least in my opinion solid proof that there is utility in knowledge at least certain kinds of knowledge um and it seems like quantum mechanics the the issue there is we're looking at the most fundamental things the most fundamental particles in the world um are in existence um and it doesn't seem like it is predictable Right. Right. It's like it's it's essentially it's it's akin to us being hunter gatherers once again, looking up at lightning and not exactly knowing how it works. And it's, it's really easy. At least I, I'm sure it is for a lot of religious folks to kind of just throw up their hands and say, well, it's God or it's another force. Um, and then scientists across the board still want the predictability. They still want the ability to actually say, no, it's deterministic. It fits this larger worldview that we have sort of crafted um, and that our like career as well as culture in a lot of ways has kind of informed our approach so it makes a lot of sense that it you know is is one of the more embodied ones and um i could you explain the uh oh sorry um exists in many worlds more oh yeah um could you could you explain how it compares to bell's theorem a little bit more yeah so bell's theorem is this results uh from 1964 by by bell like this this famous uh mathematician and physicist Mm -hmm. uh that ended up saying that what's called a local hidden variable theory is incompatible with quantum mechanics Mm. uh just the basic math the basic outcomes of quantum mechanics don't allow quantum mechanics to be explained by local hidden variables and what local hidden variables are are essentially uh pieces of truth about what's going on at every point in the universe sort mm-hmm. of set by that point in the universe. So a, a local hidden variable about an electron, for example, would be, well, is it right here or is it right here? And if there's just a variable that determines that at all points in time, that's a local hidden variable describing the position of the electron. And so Bell's theorem says that that's not possible to have. So that's mm. outlawed. That's that's done. We cannot have an interpretation of quantum mechanics that actually just says, okay, well, for every single electron going on, uh, there just is a matter of fact determined by that electron itself, um, of, uh, yeah, uh, of its of its position of its momentum. Uh, and what's 
when when was Bell's theorem created? Was it? I assume it was later than the uh, the many worlds approach. Well, yeah. So Bell's theorem was created in in 1964. Okay. Um, and but what's interesting with the many worlds approach is it doesn't uh, it doesn't violate this. It doesn't violate Bell's theorem. And and looking at how each of the interpretations we'll talk about doesn't violate Bell's theorem is pretty interesting because there's like a common misconception about Bell's theorem says that you can't have just a local, uh, you can't have hidden variables, but actually you can have hidden variables as long as it's sort of determined by the universe itself. You just can't have local hidden variables. So that, that's an important distinction to me. It probably sounds pretty unexciting to the vast majority of people. Uh, but yeah, the many worlds interpretation does end up abiding by uh, Bell's theorem. And uh, I guess for the the two of them, just to further delineate the difference between the two, um, when it comes to the many worlds approach, right? Like I I was thinking about it a little bit earlier, and it seems like the many worlds approach is not similar to another like very popular sort of pop science idea right now, and that's sort of the idea of of, of living the simulation, right? The the classic like Elon Musk or um, you know, there's, there's tons of philosophers of mind who are, who are like, oh, yeah, we probably do. Like, if you just think about it pretty deeply and think about probability, it's more likely that we are living in a civilization that's that's within another one or, you know, layered even further down. Is the many worlds approach not able to actually um, does it kind of does it kind of uh front with or, or sort of uh, oppose the simulation argument? Or do you think they're both compatible in some capacity? That's a really interesting question. I'd like to think any interpretation of quantum mechanics is compatible because okay. really it's just telling us what's going on in our simulation. And mm. the programmers of our simulation can choose quantum mechanics to probably work in a bunch of different ways. Um, and that would all be fine with the programmers. So I, I think uh, if the programmers of our simulation wanted to say, okay, there's an infinite number of parallel universes that we're programming, mm -hmm. um, and this is how collapse works. This is how collapse of superposition works. Is the world split every time, and you get every option? Well, that that seems fine. God, what a what a stubborn worldview, or even just difficult to hold on to, like personally worldview of of we're not only one of an infinite number of universes, but we're also one of the infinite number of uh, universes where you happen not to be real. It's just that right. layer, you know. It, it would. Uh, it would multiply the already infinite amount of computing power that would be necessary for the uh, for the universe to exist and even run one universe. It would have it would it would multiply infinity by infinity once more, right. which would be absolutely incredible. Um, that's so that's so funny. Um, so what to bring it back to Bell's theorem? What are some of the um, so uh, what did Bell have to say specifically about the hidden variables and 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 specifically like why they weren't applicable? Because you said that he kind of discounted them, said, no, local hidden variables can't be. But was he? what was his opinion again on, on um, universal hidden variables and the you know, fact that there might be some hidden essence or hidden aspects of subatomic particles that we're not aware of that do influence how they interact? Right. So it's, uh, I mean, before I even answer your question, a, a sort of meta uh -huh. point is that a lot of these theorems, a lot of these results in quantum mechanics are actually just pieces of math. And then okay. it's up to a lot of people looking at that pieces of math to actually recognize what it is they're saying about the universe. 
And so Bell himself like didn't have any opinions on global hidden variables or local gotcha. hidden variables. He he just published these like three equations and said this is what must be true. And then since then it's been interpreted and misinterpreted uh, in various different ways. But the quote unquote correct uh, mm -hmm. understanding of of Bell's theorem as we know it now is that it it forbids local hidden variable theories and it says nothing about global hidden variable theories. So okay. Bohmian mechanics, which uh, probably we'll get to shortly, is an example of a global hidden variable theory. And lots of people like to discount what is actually a really nice uh, interpretation of quantum mechanics because they just mm -hmm. hear the phrase hidden variables and they're like, oh, uh, Bell, Bell outlawed that. We can't have that. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, when, reality, when reality, like the what his th theorem is actually interpreted as saying is that it's not hidden variables, which is the thing that can't be. It's just a specific type of hidden variable. That's exactly right. That's exactly gotcha. right. Yeah. Oh, uh, that, that's really interesting. So when did, like, when it comes to the actual process of how these theorems are kind of created, um, it's usually, I mean, it's 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 based off the fundamental math first and then, a, like, a series of different interpretations. So for... For example, like Bell's theorem, are there multiple different interpretations of, of Bell's theorem, or is there one interpretation that people can say, this is roughly the correct one? Right. So this is <laughs> this is a really hard question because it gets at sort of what is scientific consensus? Like, how, yeah. how do we know when we actually have a scientific theorem instead of just a bunch of scientists being fooled about something or being wrong about something? And so <laughs> there's... <laughs> right. It, and it happens. It definitely happens. And even there are divides between like philosophers of physics and physicists themselves on what these different pieces of math should be saying. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, I guess, yeah, <laughs> what what exactly was your question? Well, because it, it seems to me that it's, regardless of your opinion of math, if it's something that's man-made or, or sort of embedded in the universal structure, right? Um, it is in some way more objective than interpretation, right? It's some in some way more objective than narrative structures that we use to describe everything. Right. Um, math in some way has this sort of functionality to it that makes it just applicable and with without really a need for an um, interpretation for it to then be able to discover more things, which is the predicament we're in, in, you know, with these interpretations is we have these brilliant physicists who are coming up with these great outlines of, here's what's true right. um and then it requires a series of um discussions and uh interpretations and then hashing out those interpretations which are much more open to either bias um our cognitive biases are inbuilt um or uh, even uh discussional preferences or, or or all these different aspects that kind of influence the creation of bad ideas overall so i think my question Absolutely, is like yeah is it seems like there has to at least be uh, you know, some, some different tribes that kind of grow out of groups of physicists where they fundamentally disagree on what actual theorems or what specific theorems mean, which is, you know, it's better than some other areas in science where they'll like dispute the actual evidence itself. Um, but they, it seems like physicists are on the same page and say, oh no, this is true, but here's actually what it, what it means. Because the thing is, is it's not valuable if it's, but you know, it, it's not valuable on its own. Knowing that it is true is not enough in this case. Um, and it requires that interpretation. So it seems like there is, there has to be a disjunct between different 
physicist with that, right? Right, definitely. And and for Bell's theorem in particular, I'll put it, everyone who reads Bell's original paper can understand that it's only talking about local hidden variables. Uh, but mm. what happens is very few people go back and actually read a 30-page dense technical paper. And so there can be... I wonder even, why. If, right, no, I wonder <laughs> why. Even within the physics community, there are lots of people who still think um, that it's says something that it doesn't, mostly because they just haven't gone in and actually read it. And there's this common myth among physicists that it forbids all interpretations of quantum mechanics with hidden variables. Hidden variables are very taboo. Um, and mm. so when when Bell came out and, and he had this interpretation that some people could misinterpret as, as saying, uh, well, actually, everything that has hidden variables is gone. Well, you know, that made a lot of people very happy, even though they were wrong. <laughs> they were using the information <laughs> incorrectly. Again, the bias, it, it just, it falls everywhere, unfortunately, um, except in math, which is the tricky part here, right? <laughs> that adds another oh, layer of friction. Right. Um, and then, so you mentioned Bo Bohmian, is that how it's pronounced? Is yeah, it... Bohmian mechanics. Okay. It's named after a guy named Bohm. has nothing to do with Bohemia. I... <laughs> yeah. Like, you kept auto-correcting Bohemian. I was like, no, not this time. <laughs> um, so how does it differ from Bell's theorem? Uh, in the many worlds interpretation. Yeah, so, well, okay, just to be clear, Bell's theorem is is a result that talks about, like, the limitations on other interpretations of quantum mechanics. Okay, okay, uh, so it's and, not actually an interpretation on its right. own. It's just saying, here are the rules that other ones have to be guided That's by. exactly right. That's exactly gotcha. right. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and it's, the, it's definitely the most famous and probably most powerful of those sorts of results. Um, and whereas the many worlds interpretation itself... Uh-oh, did I cut out there? My screen no. froze. Oh no, you're you're still live on the side. Okay, great. We'll cut that out. <laughs> the many worlds interpretation itself is indeed an inter an interpretation of quantum mechanics. It tells us what quantum mechanics should say about the world. Uh, and Bohmian mechanics is in the same boat. It's the same type of thing. Mm. So, what Bohmian mechanics does is says it, it has this pretty uh, out there idea, I guess you could say, and it says that all particles are fundamentally pushed by what's called a guiding wave. So there's this sort of magical wave pushing particles around. Um, and when superposition happens, it's actually not a superposition of the particles that we can end up observing. It's a superposition of the corresponding waves that are behind them that we don't interact with. And so in this sense, everything that we care about, like all the physical stuff, so all of the mm -hmm. particles, do actually have definite positions, definite momenta, you know, like I know whether a particle is here or there in Bohmian mechanics. That's a legitimate question. It's one or the other. Um, and the the superposition, this weird stuff going on behind the scenes is kept to behind the scenes with these guiding waves. And depending on how the superposition works, the waves will either sort of interact or, or destructively interfere with each other to change where those particles are pushed in the future. So it, it's akin to a to a ship on the ocean being pushed to a different position, but we don't we don't see the actual currents underneath the water. They're that's exactly it there. right. That's exactly and there's and there's no way for us to measure those waves currently, um, or or has there been? Do you know if there's been any evidence of our you know our ability to actually interact with or in some way observe those waves apart from just what they're doing? Right. So it's unclear. Like the creators of Bowman mechanics uh, mm -hmm. don't actually say whether or not these waves are, are quote-unquote real. So 
for a lot of things in physics, when we talk about a wave or when we talk about, you know, e even particles sometimes, mm -hmm. like it, it's not clear whether or not these are mathematical uh, like effects. Like we can just associate a piece of math to this mm -hmm. point in space or whether there's something there, um, like something fundamentally there outside of just how we would be interacting with it. And I mean, even whether or not like something fundamentally being there is a legitimate question like it is contentious because you could say, oh, well, how stuff itself, like how we know stuff exists is by interacting mm -hmm. with it anyway. So it's sort of meaningless to say, well, stuff is already there. Like it, it, what's it, like who cares whether or not this is like a fundamental like wave, right? Like mm -hmm. wh what does it even mean for this wave to be real if the only way it interacts with stuff is by pushing it around? So it's sort of, one could say it's, it's not a good question to ask whether or not we've measured these waves because mm -hmm. it's sort of like, well, we've seen what particles do and what mm -hmm. particles do exactly matches the behavior of these waves that we can describe. So maybe that's just good enough to say that the waves are real. But that's the thing is it doesn't seem good enough to actually explain the whole picture of what's going on in our universe, right? I think that's the, that's the difficult thing for me to wrap my head around right now is we, we're hitting a barrier, it seems like, right now with quantum mechanics that isn't matched in other areas of science or even other areas of physics, right? It's, it's akin to the, the dark matter issue of what the hell's going on there. We have, these mathematical, we have this mathematical evidence of this dark matter being here and being a good portion of the universe, what, like 80 to 90 percent, um, even higher. Dark, uh, dark energy, yeah, yeah. Dark energy. Um, yeah. So we know it has to be there mathematically, but you know, obviously because of the name and uh, other factors, we, we can't directly observe it in any meaningful way um, apart from its influences on other things. And I think there's just this like tenacity, or the, the, this need to actually be able to directly observe the things that we are we we know have an effect on the world around it. Well, I think um, this is this is a really interesting question because w why do you think we directly observe anything? Like if yeah. you it, say I have like a, some really interesting substrate, like I'm a, I'm a you know biology concentrator working in one of Brown's labs. I look under my microscope. I I think I see this substrate, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I think I can say like oh this this you know biological thing is really there. But all I know for sure is that when I look through a microscope. You know, there are photons like getting mm -hmm. reflected off of this thing yeah. and then bouncing back into the microscope and then bouncing into my eye. Mm -hmm. And so whether or not like like it's technically possible, right? It's technically possible that there's nothing there. There's just nothing beneath the microscope. Mm -hmm. But the microscope knows when I look into it and I expect to be seeing this this, you know, piece of biology that mm -hmm. it should emit light into my eye. Right. Like mm. it's actually totally impossible for us to outrule that possibility. Yeah. And, and it's so the, it's the classic cognitive barrier. Right. We we only know what is currently existing in our brain through our senses, through those slits um, in a very, very similar way to the double slit experiment where we can't actually tell until we look at it and are just trusting the world and just trusting our, our instruments to actually be guiding us towards truth. And that's the thing is, is the only real proof of that. Um, and it's not proof of whether or not there's some, uh, the, you know, mind the vat 
experiment uh, or situation. It, you know, it's not proof that there isn't some deity or some super powerful god or tyrannical dictator uh, who is manipulating our brain and actually causing us to have sensations or, or experience things that aren't there. But it is at least proof that within that context, within whatever we're experiencing, there is utility, right? So, so knowledge incapacity insofar as it has a a functionality and it has a proven functionality to it i think is a test of whether or not we're observing something actually for us actually occurring right and because of that the math seems to need like it, it has to be enough right by those same parameters that you're just talking about that apply to every other object that we experience day in and day out you know it, it's just, it's essentially the same thing um, just slightly less diluted, uh, or sorry, slightly more diluted than what we're experiencing with the waves um, in in the Bohmian uh, mechanics model, right? It's it's the same thing. We we don't actually have the proof there. We just kind of have knowledge of it doing something, um, and then the 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 mechanics actually allow us to have utility in context of quantum mechanics and allows us to discover more things and understand it in some you know, different way, right? It seems to fit the picture. And I think right. because of that, it's... I think you're right in saying that there isn't any... Um, it's not necessarily a good question to ask, can we directly observe it, right? Because we're, we're, we're observing it as well as we can as essentially observe anything, which is not observing it. <laughs> right, right. No, exactly. And I, I think this is, like, a really interesting point, that quantum mechanics is the first theory that you know, seemingly put the observer or put observation or put knowledge mm -hmm. or put e even like, you know, is there a fact of the matter of what these particles are doing? Is there a fact of the matter of what exists? It put those mm -hmm. questions at the forefront of physics, which is crazy. No one had any concerns before <laughs> the 1920s about whether or not there was stuff there, right? I look around me, of course there's stuff here. Like that's, you know, that was left to tables, you know, at, at philosophy discussion conferences. Yeah. Like that wasn't real, right? No, you know, no offense to philosophers, but certainly <laughs> quantum mechanics is the sort of thing that brought it into the si broader scientific community and broader societal community, mm. like to actually be asking these questions of, well, you know, what effects do, does the observer have on the system you're observing? Like, is there any way of objectively knowing what's out there? All of these really interesting, crazy questions are suddenly, like, in your face when you try and say anything about quantum mechanics. It sounds like quantum mechanics is the thing that brought the keen physicist to the philosopher instead of vice versa, right? Right. Um, which is, I think that's a testament to the actual implications of the field and really the importance of, of, of trying to understand it um, where typically you know uh, oftentimes in philosophy it seems like there are scientific ideas that are taken um, uh, sometimes out of context or, or sometimes not um, and applied um, you know in context of larger phys uh, philosophical context oftentimes it's not the opposite oftentimes it isn't the philosophy being needed to understand the physics it's it's you know the other way around um and i think that is a is a really great testament to the actual importance right um uh, and then the last of the of the four before we move on to the 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 really fun fifth one um is the copenhagen interpretation can you give us a brief breakdown of that yeah so the copenhagen interpretation is is essentially uh, and unfortunately, the most popular interpretation of quantum mechanics right now amongst physicists. And 
more or less what the Copenhagen interpretation says is it says that these sorts of questions that I was just asking are, are essentially unanswerable questions. So what's going on behind the scenes when we have a superposition of two, you know, quote unquote, un incompatible states? Well, we don't know. Like, we can't measure it or there is no fact of the matter. Um, it just says, like, you know, there's nothing going on. And, and things only actually sort of exist, like a particle only maybe exists or has a location after we measure it. Uh, and that's what Copenhagen interpretation is saying. It, it comes along with this famous uh, famous phrase, shut up and calculate, uh, <laughs> regarding, <laughs> regarding how much you should be thinking about what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, and then that, what the heck? This is easily the, the weirdest one so far. This is crazy. Yeah. Um, and to give it a little bit more context of, of when and why it was, it was created, um, I, I read of the, the Wunderkinder, the uh, the Wonder Children from from Boar. Yes, um, exactly. Can you explain that backstory a little bit? What's that, what was actually going on when it was created? It was sure. twenty year olds who helped come up with this. Right. So Bohr in the 1920s, 1930s is is probably one of the most influential physicists alive. He's has a strong personality. He has a large following. He works really well with other physicists, and so he has this uh, large group of disciples. And he teaches them his idea, which is the Copenhagen interpretation. And that's ridiculous. yeah, and, and he he's so convinced. He's very convinced about the the metaphysical implications of the Copenhagen interpretation. Things like, well, you know, it's not there until we measure it. Things like that. So the moon wouldn't be there if we're not looking. Uh, if the moon were a quantum system, I mean, but uh, yeah. So this this very very strong figure mm -hmm. in physics uh, comes up with this idea that's pretty bad. It's actually, it's, <laughs> it's pretty bad if you care about the really understanding our world more mm. than just making accurate predictions. Like if we want to understand like why, why we're making accurate predictions or what's going on behind the scenes or potentially how to combine quantum mechanics with other theories, which is like there's billions of dollars going into that sort of research right now. Uh, it, Copenhagen interpretation is not so useful. It doesn't let you do those things because it doesn't provide a backstory of what's going on. But it, it became incredibly popular almost purely because of the sociology of the physics community. There was influential figures who taught what would be his influential disciples, and they carried on his legacy to promote the Copenhagen interpretation. Oh, wow. So one of the larger blunders in quantum mechanics right there, people falling prey to the age-old problem of tribalism that's <laughs> yeah i know it's true i thought physicists would be better i thought they could escape the trap god um that's that's fascinating that it took so long so how many decades until it, was, it started to get moved away from because you mentioned the other ones the um what the uh, the many worlds interpretation was 50s yeah um, and the bell's theorem which i mean was just gave context to the rest of them was was 60s right, right. um so, like, how how long until well, the established right. scientific community actually started saying, all right, maybe we should actually, you know, leave the Wunderkinder away uh, and, oh, exactly. and, and as a whole? What's what's actually incredible? So, uh, Bohm, who who created Bohmian mechanics, he, mm -hmm. he did that in the late 1940s. But what's really unfortunate about his story is that he was a staunch communist. And this was just as McCarthyism was rising. He was trying to do physics in the United States. Oh, no. So 
this incredible guy who's about to save us from the Copenhagen interpretation, maybe, mm -hmm. you know, after after only like a, a decade or two, let's, you know, maybe not too bad, uh, gets, ends up getting expelled from the country, moves to Brazil in hiding, and can't go to any conference, can't communicate with the top physicists, can't promote his ideas, despite having found what's a really, really good alternative to the Copenhagen interpretation. And that just set physics back so many decades. So his idea didn't get rediscovered for, for numerous decades after that. Um, and, and it never had the chance to sort of fight against the Copenhagen interpretation when all the original founders of quantum mechanics were there. Um, because he's stuck as a communist in Brazil. So God, even these, about, I, it's like crap. a bunch of sociological matters, a bunch of political matters getting so much in the way of having the right sort of ideas when it comes to quantum mechanics. It's crazy. It's crazy that because it, I think it goes both ways for physics generally. Like obviously a lot of nuclear physics is directly the product of the State Department in World War II having a military interest and in, in furthering it, right? Um, and, and no doubt that's the same for like air, a lot of aeronautical sciences, um, which unfortunately caused the U.S. to recruit a whole lot of Nazis after World War II. Um, and, you know, a, a bunch of other sciences, which have equally been um, sociologically further, or sorry, because of sociological reasons, have been further in really meaningful ways. Uh, but it seems like this blunder is, is on close to on par with, you know, some of the other big tragedies of knowledge and history like uh i don't know the library of alexandria burning down from some military accident um to that that one random monk who accidentally erased calculus uh, <laughs> to write <laughs> a bible translation over like these massive blunders of, of sociological and and sort of larger political structure influences on science um i didn't realize they extended so intimately into uh into into quantum into the quantum realm, you know. No, absolutely, and, and I think had it not been for all of these really human factors influencing yeah. how ph physicists think about quantum mechanics, the Copenhagen interpretation never would have survived past like the 1940s. But instead, it's still it still has the plurality of physicists, uh, you know, quote unquote, ascribing themselves to it. Even though, really, what the, these physicists do is, is they don't think about what's actually going on behind the scenes. They're perfectly happy to shut up and calculate. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's. I mean, only like really, the the tide has started turning over the last twenty years or so. Twenty to thirty years is only when people started realizing we need to be doing something different with quantum foundations. And here are all these good inter alternatives to the Copenhagen interpretation. Is, is one of the good alternatives the GRW that that we that you mentioned a little bit before? Can I I know nothing about it? Can you can you flesh that out? Definitely. So how the GRW interpretation works is that it actually removes the special place of the observer or the measurer from quantum mechanics. So normally you have superposition and the superposition will collapse when there's, you know, a quote unquote observer or measurer mm. uh, interacting with uh, with that superposition, and then it goes back into one of its normal sort of states, either either to the left or to the right, instead of superposition of left and right. But what GRW says is, not only does that collapse not occur, collapses just occur randomly. It's like every 10 to the negative 27 seconds, there's a collapse of every single superposition in the universe. Uh, and Wait, this, is that, is that the, the standard interval between collapses, or... 
Is it like actually just a, a random amount of time between collapses? Well, right. It's a random okay. amount of okay. time between gotcha. collapses, and this is yeah. Um, and then, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so the the problem is a lot of people who look at the Copenhagen interpretation, they say like, okay, well, we're the ones interacting with this electron, right? Mm. And so, okay, so that's what makes it go from a superposition of left and right to either left or right. But why, you know, why are we special? Like what, what special is actually going on there? Is it the fact that we're human? Is it the fact that like we have physics PhDs, like suddenly we get this, like, you know, uh, like special role about changing how electrons work? Because electrons, mm at every single moment are interacting with other things. Like there's gravitational waves passing by, there's photons, there's there's whatever. But still electrons are in this superposition, right? So it's not just any interaction that will go that will collapse the superposition into a normal sort of state. It's it's something weird. It's something very weird going on. And it's hard to say, like, you know, some people even want to say it has to do with consciousness, uh, which is which is an interesting option. But uh, essentially how GRW reframes it is that it just has to do, and this is different, this is actually different math. This is observably different math than standard mm -hmm. quantum mechanics. Uh, it says that it just has to do with how many particles are in the total system. So when I observe a superposition, suddenly that's a very large number of particles in that system, like, mm -hmm. um, which causes like the probability of collapse of that system to be very, very high. Uh, and so that's how they get around the, the fact that whenever we see humans interacting with the superposition, it is a normal state. But when there's just like two small particles going on, uh, there isn't a collapse. Oh, that's fascinating. So it's directly, man, how, how would that change the, um, the, the sort of the quantum mechanics underlying larger bodies of, of matter? You know, like if, if, I have a, if I have a bowling ball, how is that going to be different than a, a basketball that has a, a perfect vacuum or something? Like, like what is the, um, in addition to conscious entities who are made of matter, unfortunately sometimes, um, how does, you know, influencing the, the, the quantum realm, that capacity, does that also mean that high density objects, um, at least on a quantum level, um, are, are different? fundamentally and how they kind of play out versus if you just have two particles you know a certain distance away in a perfect vacuum is that what that would mean well so actually it, it in some sense it almost means the opposite really because okay what, what, what the copenhagen interpretation does for contrast mm -hmm. is it says well there are these things called like classical bodies like who, who knows what those are that isn't well defined and it says when those classical bodies or classical objects which presumably I am, like interact with these electrons, that's when a collapse will occur. Um, whereas GRW actually says that everything is treated equally. There isn't a distinction between, you know, classical bodies and quantum bodies or classical states and quantum states. Actually, I'm also a quantum state of, of a ton, ton of particles. And it just so, like, I seem like I'm classical. Like, it, I seem compatible with um, physics pre-quantum mechanics because I have so many particles in me. And mm. if we reduce the number of particles in me, I would slowly move from seeming classical to seeming quantum, even though the entire time I really am a quantum system. Oh, that's fascinating. Which is, again, the, the GRW uh, model seems much more in line with other ways of classically understanding the universe. I, I mean, 
specific material um, and uh, and sort of Newtonian. That that's fascinating. That has a direct correlation potentially to the amount of stuff around other stuff. Um, is that one of the the approaches that you personally are more on board with, or, or out of the out of the five now? Which which one do you think beckons you the most? Ah. I'm uh, probably biased towards Bohmian mechanics. Uh, nice. Between yeah, <laughs> I, I like I like uh, this this idea of global hidden variables. It seems like it, it seems good to have ha- have a sort of locality. It seems good to have determinism uh, mm. because GRW and Copenhagen both have don't both don't have determinism. Uh, oh makes, okay. Right, because GRW has the random collapses, random periods between individual collapses okay, and copenhagen gotcha. has the random choice uh yeah random like normal sort of collapse of superpositions um and mm-hmm. so bowman mechanics is deterministic uh which gotcha. seems very nice and it has bonus side effects that i didn't even mention such as being compatible with special relativity uh which is one of these big uh litmus tests for how far a theory is going to make it in in physics why is that uh, why is it a litmus test? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so <laughs> special relativity. I, I, we should just explain the entire history of physics today. Um, <laughs> special relativity is this this idea Einstein came up with also in the beginning of the 1900s mm-hmm. uh, that essentially says things like space-time is connected. So space, space and time form a, a unified four-dimensional space. And if you're moving faster, things around you get shrunk and time t- including time so space gets shrunk and and sort of the time around you gets shrunk so you could uh experience less time the faster you move so th- there's th- this theory uh which isn't talking about quantum objects but the idea is that if it's compatible with how it treats like this time and space this this big idea of time and space then um like there's sort of hope for a bigger, better theory that makes everything compatible. Because how physics generally works right now is we have really small stuff, which is the quantum realm, and we have really big stuff, which is controlled by or described by relativity. And we, as of yet, have no way of combining these two scopes. We want one th- one theory that, that decides all of physics, uh, and it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist at all, as far as we know, as far as we've found. And so there's two... So you at least want to be compatible with a little bit of relativity called special relativity mm-hmm. uh, in order for there to be a hope that it'll end up being the, the ultimate equation that, that tells us uh, how the universe works. So the Bohmian mechanics actually gives us the best chance out of the five to um, have some compatibility and, and create a theory of everything. I mean, so to be fair, the Copenhagen interpretation also does that. It but just, we've established why it's trash. Right. So it far. it just doesn't it doesn't tell us anything. It doesn't tell us about what's there. It it yeah. It leaves its hands in the air and says, I you know, I don't know, which which isn't really useful for people who want to think about how the universe works. Which probably Same. makes it compatible for a lot of bullshit physics too, right. I'm sure. Right? right. No, exactly. It's compatible with a ton of also just very inaccurate um conceptions of the universe as well it just it opens itself up because of its ignorance much harder to be wrong when you don't give an answer yeah exactly right um and much much easier to be interpreted by a ton of uh of people who don't actually know what's going on that's right Um, so uh next in the in this quest to understand 
was going on the, the smallest realm possible. Um, you know, how... Uh... Oh, sorry, hold on, let me jot down what time this is happening at. I keep, like, trying to transition, not going. 49, transition. Um, okay, and so we're going to transition into questions on part three. Um, all right. So this is a little bit different from the you know the past discussion that we were just having. Um, we're going to transition more to to how these theories um, are interpreted, or probably more much more common misinterpreted. Uh, so I was going to ask you, how do you see these things um, in quantum mechanics generally getting interpreted in in pop culture and in you know uh, media? Definitely. I mean, there's there's a whole host of different ideas. Uh, sort of quantum science fiction has become its own genre in and of itself. You, you almost append the word quantum in front of any sort of technology you want to exist, and and your readers <laughs> just sort of believe that maybe that's, that's how that might work. Uh, but very common ideas are things like, um, uh, you know, we're all connected as consciousnesses because of the way, maybe either because of superposition or because of the way the observer plays a special role in quantum mechanics. Um, and that comes out of nowhere. Uh, it's sort of, <laughs> maybe, maybe if formalized correctly, uh, it, it could be it could be like a sort of different version of the many worlds interpretation. There's this mm -hmm. thing called the many minds interpretation, where actually the only splitting of different worlds is uh, or the only thing that splits between the different worlds is actually the consciousnesses. Um, but I, I'm pretty pretty sure that's not what most writers are referring to. Um, <laughs> and so, right, so, so we have this whole idea, uh, like, most likely consciousness just doesn't play a special role in quantum mechanics. Um, there's, I suppose, no good reason to, to believe that it should. Well, I think there's one good reason why it might seem like that it should, which is the the classic, like ego and confidence of mankind to want to involve the one special thing we have, our consciousness, in everything we can. You know, it it, it typically is the number one focus of all spiritual practices, right? It's it's trying to figure out the significance of this thing that we're always embedded in and that we are. So because of that, it's understandable why pop culture has this weird fascination with quantum mechanics and consciousness. Um, so if, if that is not one of the implications, um, what are some of the more interesting implications then? You know, what are some of the places that do have genuine places of, of, of curiosity um, that are science fiction-y, you know, that, that right. do actually have pertinence to it? You mentioned teleportation. Yes. Um, and, you know, the I think we covered why, uh, why people say the moon might not be there when you're looking right. at it. Um, you know, and then the, the parallel worlds we've already covered um, and the, the, the connected humans. I think we've answered that as well. But I want to get to the bottom of the teleportation because I understand that the quantum entanglement is, is a thing that has been observed and is known. Definitely. Um, so tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so there's, there's, the, there's almost two different effects here. One is called quantum tunneling. And so what happens is uh, there's this there's this other phenomenon in quantum mechanics that we haven't even talked about yet, which is particles end up acting like waves and, and vice versa. It's called this wave-particle duality. Oh. And so if I have uh, what I think is just a thing right here, okay, mm -hmm. inside of this box, well, you know, you know, inside of this box like this, it, it's it's below the top of the box. 
Well, normally things don't just like hop over and out of boxes. Like they, they just stay where they are. But because uh, when a particle isn't being observed, when it isn't interacting with this large scale system, uh, it, it can go into sort of these, you know, superposition of states. It can act like a wave. So a particle just in a box can end up having its possible locations spread out. So the particle, my electron that was actually in my box, can have its possibilities for when I observe it end up being outside of that box. So you can have, which is crazy, which is really crazy. Mm -hmm. This is this is a real thing. We we've we've tested this well. So you you just put a particle in a box, you you let it you let it sit there for some amount of time, and then then you try and measure it. And sometimes it'll appear out of that box. And this is called quantum tunneling because it literally lets you tunnel through walls. Wow, that's fascinating. I feel like that example is immediately ruined if if the object you're talking about is a frog. I think it's the only big issue. Um, but well, <laughs> it, it's not it's not clear. It, it, technically, technically, frogs can also tunnel through walls. It's just the odds are much much lower. Um, that would be that that that's the demonstration I want with Kwame. I hope sure. by the end of our lives it gets to a point where we're able to to move little little froggy guys. Yeah. You know, through you, through you put a trillion frogs in a box. I'll I'll make it happen. Okay, perfect. I that is going to be a, a fun task. Frog world is the only way to get there, um, which is you know Elon Musk's newest venture. Uh, instead of trying to make Mars habitable for humans, he just wants it to be frog world to be able to test this theory. Um, okay, so that's teleportation. I want to know more about the entanglement of of, of particles. You know, the the uh, the classic. Um, I guess it's the opposite of classic. The very new and cutting edge and novel um, idea of being able to have pairs of particles that are somehow connected in a way where if you move one, the other one moves in a mirrored way. Is that is is that in line with with what is known currently in, in quantum mechanics? Yeah, I, I think you could put it like that. Essentially. Uh, the actual technicalities of how it works is that when you have uh, these two particles in, in what are called an entangled state, as soon as you observe one, so it, as soon as you collapse whatever superposition it was in and figure out what its state is, so in, you know it could have been like in a superposition of being to my left and being to my right, right, something like this, and then if it chooses left, well, the other particle will choose the exact same thing instantaneously. Oh, that's fascinating. So by interacting with something over here, I can have something a million miles away. And as soon as I see that the thing here is to the left, I immediately know what's going on with that other particle a million miles away. And has that, I mean, it has to have been proven by the math first, but has that been observed as a... Yeah, as a actually, pretty recently, just in the last 10 years, uh, we got devices sensitive enough. We had a cross-continental test uh, which is pretty much the only the largest distances we can manage as a species right now uh, to to show that actually it is this instantaneous phenomenon and it's not just propagating at the speed of light. But yeah, uh, this is we've tested it. I think uh, we've used electrons. We've we've almost gotten to the point of having entire hydrogen atoms um, entangled with each other. So it it's maybe maybe one day we'll have entire frogs say uh, <laughs> tangled and you can right exactly you can uh you can determine determine you know crazy information about very far away frogs by the frog you have right there 
Well, I mean, the the really, I feel like, significant impact there is the ability to communicate over distances greater than, um, like, a light year. You know, we, we could potentially have two particles that are entangled in such a way. If, you know, if we have an entire, like, atom um, be able to move, it wouldn't be too difficult to make a trigger system for that, right? Where you move one and then, bam, a light year away, your buddy gets the alert that uh, the, the intergalactic space force of frogs that we should not have given intelligence to on Mars. That was a terrible idea. It turns out that they're coming for you. You know, it's I, I think that that sort of communication system does really change prospects um, for like the implications, the actual like technological advantage, um, um, advantages of of quantum. Of, well, of quantum. So <laughs> I, I don't I don't mean to ruin your dreams here. Oh, no, you're the, not telling me. it's uh, no. Right. So the, the unfortunate fact of the matter is uh-huh. It's actually uh, been shown to be impossible to transmit "quote unquote" new information. So you can't write. So so all we have the option to do with these entangled mm-hmm. particles is make them collapse out of an already like pre-existing superposition of states. So the only sort of information that you can actually tell to your partner on a different planet, you know, trying to coordinate the interplanetary defense system, uh, uh-huh. it is. I mean. Yeah, uh, you, you can't like the only thing you can tell him is the sort of stuff you set up originally when you started with those two particles together and you and you like put them into a superposition. Uh, oh, so the information cool. had to have been there the entire time uh, because information going faster than the speed of light is a big no no. Oh, damn. I thought there was one way out. Okay. Well, that's, right, right. that's unfortunate. That doesn't quite have the same significance no, uh, exactly. when it comes to the, uh, the actual advantages. And I, I feel like. I feel like I want to know your personal opinion uh, when it when it comes to kind of the one of the things that I when I, when I think quantum mechanics I, I this is the, definitely the first topic that comes to mind is the idea of quantum computing. Why is it quantum? Is it just a tagline that they threw in there for good marketing? What's up with that? Tell me a little bit about how it's actual quantum mechanics and based off quantum mechanics. Right. So it's it's based off of quantum mechanics because precisely because. Uh, we have these superpositions of states. Mm-hmm. So instead of normally, uh, say, in a in a computer, you have a gate, you have transistors, you have gates, and either there's electricity flowing through the gate or there isn't, and this is a one or a zero. Um, and so instead of having that sort of classical one or zero, th- this is this is uh, you know <laughs> not technically correct, but loosely how quantum computers work is that you get superpositions of one and zero. So there's a lot more combinations you can do. And and it's much more powerful than just say adding a third option. Like it's not like, you know, you you have uh, like three different colors of electricity flow, like you're adding a third option, like the fact that it's a superposition, and quantum mechanics has these, you know, essentially strange bits of math that say how superpositions evolve and can collapse allows you to get a lot more powerful computation. Wow. And so it will increase the uh, the further range of our, our computational abilities if we can do it. Now, why, um, and this this might be um, too, too technical of a question when it comes to um, quantum mechanics uh, for quantum computing, um, why is it that the systems have to be kept so cold? Is it to stop particles from moving or, or having any additional energy? Is is that really the reason? Yeah, that's pretty much exactly it. Uh, these 
these systems are very fragile. And if a um, if one of these superpositions collapses when you don't want it to, your your entire computation can be messed up. So oh. yeah, exactly. Keeping things cold, um, yeah, it exactly prevents things from moving. And it seems to be one of the largest difficulties right now in quantum computing is, is how do we keep these things near or as close to absolute zero as we can get, right? Yeah, I mean, keeping keeping them isolated is a really big difficulty and mm -hmm. having everything coordinated. So right now, I mean, probably my information is a bit out of date, but we have uh, quantum computers that have 50 qubits or so, qubit meaning quantum bit, uh, five zero. So if you compare that to the processor on your computer, which has billions or trillions <laughs> of bits, right? You're, we're lagging pretty darn far behind, uh, precisely because all of these uh, very tricky limitations of not being able to interact with the outside world, having to be very cold, having to have this, uh, you know, quantum like cohesiveness uh, to actually make use of the operation it is very difficult to to scale. Well, once again, changing focus because we're about out of time. Um, but I, I really just want to know, in, in your opinion. What do you think is next for quantum mechanics? When it comes to interpretations that are going to live on, it seems like um, the Bohmian mechanics model is is probably going to stick around for a while. Um, but when it comes to like what the next frontier of the entire field is, you know what 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 are you hoping to expect next when it comes to answers? I I well. I, I'm a question. simple man. I have a simple question. Uh, what's going on? That's that's all I really <laughs> want to know. I'd love if if someone could just paint a cohesive picture of of the entire universe, um, and and say what's going on behind the scenes and why everything acts the way it does. I, like I, I'd be I'd be totally satisfied with that. I don't need much more. Any uh, any further readings for the audience or for me? Absolutely. I mean, people who are interested in this sort of thing uh, should read the author Tim Maudlin. Uh, David Albert, um, Adam Becker had a really recent book um, uh, that I thought was great called What is Real? Very, very topical about the history of quantum mechanics. Uh, there's experiments like the twin slit experiment. Um, yeah, overall, I, there's a lot of really interesting resources out there regarding quantum mechanics and what it means for our reality. And uh, I think anyone who's interested is going to have a good time. Uh, and then on that last point right there, if there's one big takeaway from all the time that you spent studying quantum mechanics thus far, uh, what what is it? You know, what what is the what's the solid piece of of knowledge that you might take into your own life, or because quantum mechanics probabilistic piece of knowledge? <laughs> right, exactly. So I will actually answer with two. Um, I would say first is that physics is incredibly human as a process. Uh, which actually surprised me a, a ton when I learned about the history of these theorems and why they haven't taken off. There's a lot of uh, political, a lot of sociological, a lot of economic reasons that actually get in the way of us finding the right theories about the universe, mm -hmm. uh, which one would hope physics is insulated from, but ultimately it's a human endeavor and it is not. So I think it's important to stay vigilant about those sorts of things for, for physicists and as a general public uh, not, of course, to, to trust scientists because scientists are generally very correct, uh, but also do some critical thinking on your own about how people could be wrong or what other factors are going into play. Mm. Um, and then the other is that, uh, I mean, quantum mechanics is just an incredible world. Uh, the, the notion that there could be 
I mean, you just get to choose. You, you get to say, well, I, I think things should be random, where I think things should be decided by, by the stuff around me, where I think uh, here's how causal chains work. And, and there's actually, there's compatible ways of thinking about how the universe evolves and compatible ways of thinking about physics that lets you incorporate these really awesome metaphysical ideas. And so I think it'll just be crazy when one day we have a decision about which one of these is right. And it tells us a lot about the way our universe will evolve. And no doubt those big metaphysical, metaphysical questions that are embedded in the, the entire study is probably one of the reasons why it's picked up as, as such a, a pop culture phenomena, right? It's, it's why the, the writers use the, the now literary trope of quantum tech. Um, and I, I think it also speaks to the, 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 the deeper actual legitimate questions that are lying there underneath. You know, regardless of how much it's bastardized or misinterpreted or used... Um, from uh, some very uh, illustrious and um, oftentimes kind of annoying uh, authors online to, you know, to, to further ideas that aren't actually based in science and that they want to find some strange proof for. Um, the reason why they're able to do it so easily and, and why it's such a common practice is because there is actually something there, something that does actually yeah. shift how we look at the world um, and isn't, in some ways is much more complex and less intuitive than we can have ever expected in some other ways and some, with some other approaches is much more intuitive. Right. Um, and I think that's, I think that's a more novel, more mature way to actually look at quantum mechanics, you know, because all too often it's just seen as this, as this thing that a is difficult to understand, which is right. But B is, you know, fair game for speculation and, and poor, you know, kind of bastardized interpretation. So I appreciate talking to you um, today. Um, no doubt this is thoroughly demonstrated why you're the science uh, writer and advisor for the website. Um, no doubt that uh, you've really flexed your, your skills today and knowledge. So I thank you very, very much for, uh, for A, coming on and, and B, you know, enlightening me a little bit. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right, I'll, I'll talk to you later.